Welcome to Broadband Action, the podcast brought to you by the Community Broadband Action Network. Your hosts are co-founders of C-Band, yours truly, Curtis Dean, Todd Kilka, and John Ann Willow. This week, we welcome back Christopher Ali. Um, one of the things that's interesting, and this is, uh, this is something that we're constantly battling, those of us who are in the industry that are advocates for better broadband, is the idea that the only way to evaluate a quality of a broadband connection is how fast it is. Mm, yeah. Um, and when we all know that there are networks out there that are capable of great speeds that are not better because they aren't reliable. They aren't affordable. We talked about that. Um, uh, they're not, they're, they're, they're patchy. They're available on this side of the block, but not across the street. We need to start our, our policy makers understanding that these other factors have to be taken into account. So when the only evaluative tool in creating a national broadband map is raw advertised speed, yes. we are missing out on 90% of the equation. Absolutely, we are. Um, one of the things I talk about with, with folks is how not all broadband is created equal. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and, and we need to be thinking about the pros and cons in a number of different uh, capacities, not just, uh, certainly not just advertised speed, certainly not advertised speed at all. You know, we right. can think about like DSL literally can rot in the ground. It can be chewed through by animals. It, it, it attenuates after three miles. Cable suffers from network congestion, um, you know, so which we've heard time and time again. And it is also using sometimes very old old cables as well mm -hmm. um i know certainly in my in my neighborhood in in charlottesville um our our cable is is quite old and we suffer from a considerable amount of network congestion um we can talk about the expense of fiber in the ground we can talk about you know the 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 potential weather interference of satellite i mean there's all these things and this is why i think it's so important that communities need to need to know these to be able to make the best choices for themselves and not have you know someone else say, well, well, this is this is the best and the brightest, and this is what you need to do. We should be we should be working with our communities, empowering our communities to make these choices. And part of that is just um, knowledge. Mm -hmm. If you're the average community leader, city council person, city manager, even you know you may you know may know a lot about paving streets, but you don't know anything about broadband. So right. lifting that you know. Lifting that information base there is a big part of this. But, you know, policymakers, you know, down at the local level, sometimes they have to juggle a lot of things. And so what, you know, it's one of the things we've tried to do with C-Band is try to lower those barriers of information so they can mm -hmm. get that information and uh, act on it. So. Well, and that's, that is so absolutely important because because we, we also know that large providers are acting on it. Mm -hmm. right? They they have their briefing books ready. And when, when a community says, or a county or a state says, hey, we need information about broadband, or we know broadband is important, how do, we, how do we improve it? How do we get it? The first ones through, through, ones through that door, sometimes not even knocking, are large providers with a briefing book of, of this, is why, this is why we're the ones who need to be able to do this. And, yeah. um, and, and so it's, it's not even just about the technology, it's also about the providers themselves. We need, you know, we need greater transparency, certainly on, on these, um, uh, these, 
these deployment initiatives and 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 the 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 value and setback of a lot of um, or the value and challenges of, of mm-hmm. working with different providers. I want to talk a little bit about RDOF because mm-hmm. you know, a lot of people, a whole lot smarter than me, have identified that RDOF, the whole process was a big debacle and that yeah. it is going to end up not resulting in nearly any of the goals being met of that project, mm-hmm. of that of that process. If it comes time for the next RDOF, what do we need to do to make it so that those funds are actually put in the hands of people that are going to build networks and not just rebuy their own stock? I mean, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, and I, like so many of us, was, was really disappointed at how RDOF turned out. Um, it, was it was very a race crazy. to the bottom. It was absolutely. And in the FCC's defense, the new composition of the FCC has kind of done a bit of a meal culprit that they did not do their due diligence. They did not vet the candidates, you know, and, and it, it's what's really particularly unfortunate is something, you know, like like LTV, which which giantly over exaggerated the possibilities of fixed wireless. Fixed wireless is an important tool in rural yes, broadband deployment. But what you have is a company that massively, massively over-exaggerated the potential for the speed potential, right? Bidding at the gigabit mm-hmm. level. And, and you've got the regulator who's supposed to look out for the public interest not doing their due diligence. Um, and, and that was particularly disappointing. So a couple of things that I think we could do better. Um, one is accountability uh, for award winners, right? Um, both CenturyLink and Frontier did not live up to their 2018 and 2019 commitments for Connect America Fund, why on earth were they allowed to bid on RDOF if they've already demonstrated? I mean, Frontier's been in bankruptcy. Like, why, why were they permitted to be part of this? Right. Starlink was in beta, still is in beta until I think the end of the month. Why were they allowed to bid um, when it's, it is unproven at scale? And, right, and there's a lot of studies, um, granted, I know, one, you know one's coming from, from another industry competitor. I saying that, you know, that's certainly... Starlink will not be able to live up to its capacity potential uh, because of, you know, it's, it's going to rather hit its capacity um, without living up to what it promised. Well, so and, definitely- and even, okay. even Musk himself has admitted, this is not, yeah. a, this is not a solution. This is a better than nothing solution. And it, right. it is, should be deployed in areas where there are no other options. Right. But isn't it interesting that Musk went from, broadband for everyone to broadband for rural to broadband for some yeah right you could trade track that hype over the last three four years of of uh of of the announcement and 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 the lead up to to starling so we need we need accountability measures um the the other thing uh that uh we need to see is is making sure that smaller providers get uh, a, a legitimate chance to access this, this funding and not just the leftovers. Absolutely. Um, I, I know that the Rural Electric Consortium was one of the top winners, which is great to see, mm-hmm. but it was one amongst a top 10 of huge industry players like Charter, right? right. Um, either we need to set aside a substantial amount of money for providers, um, for small providers, uh, or you know we need to make sure that they're given um, given a fighting chance uh, at, at accessing this. I mean, we're talking twenty billion dollars here mm-hmm. uh, for Ardoff at least, and it it will not. I mean, the FCC predicted in twenty seventeen that it would take eighty billion to connect this country with fiber. Right? We've already spent at least sixty billion in the last twelve years. Yeah, Ardoff is going to spend twenty billion 
we should be inches away from the from closing the infrastructure gap, right? We are nowhere near that. Okay, so accountability, privileging small providers. I would love to see preemption of state laws that prohibit municipal broadband. Get rid of those. Um, Amen. I, I would love to see the establishment of robust state broadband offices. So if you're going to give money to states, every office, every state should have an office. This is kind of one of my concerns with the infrastructure package. And I know I'm going back and forth a little bit, no, but there's please. no provision in there that a state has to have a broadband office. And we know, I mean, look at what Minnesota has done. Um, it has an amazing broadband office. It has, mm -hmm. you know, it is, it is empowered. It is funded. Uh, it's a great staff. Um, you know, every state should have a robust state broadband office. Um, so, okay, states, local, preemption, cooperatives, speed, right? One of the things I was disappointed at with RDOF and was disappointed at, at with the infrastructure package is that we are still hanging on to this 25-3. And the only rationale I have for why, and I write about this in the book, is because it keeps DSL and yes. satellite in play because they don't have to prove actual speed, only advertised speed. And DSL, if you're super close to the DSLAM, it's brand new copper and no one's on the network and you know it's not a full moon, if, you can if. get 25.3, right? So it keeps DSL in the ground, um, which, which is awful for rural America. We're gonna take a quick break. We'll be back in just a moment with more of broadband action. Yeah, and the, 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 this, uh, the split between download and upload speeds is is also a, a dinosaur of an earlier age where you didn't use upload for anything. No. And now we know we're using upload for every we're uploading right now. Absolutely. Um, and and look at what farmers are doing. Farmers are uploading terabytes worth yes. of data. They can't do it on anything less than a than a fiber than a symmetric, usually fiber optic line. You know, right. I I've met with a lot of farmers who say what what they end up doing is downloading their data onto a USB stick and driving to the closest building that they can get a fiber connection. Correct. So that they're not spending two days uploading their data. Um, you know, I, wouldn't it be amazing if we got all the YouTube influencers to talk about upload speeds because they're oh, making tons of money. Maybe this should be a new campaign for, for CBAN is, is getting those influencers, influencers talking about upload speeds. They depend on upload speed and 25.3 ain't going to cut it. There are a couple that are here in I that are from Iowa that are big um, YouTubers that I've been wanting to score a couple of them yes. for a session just about yes. the importance of uploading um, content and data and it's not just it's not just YouTubers it's anybody oh, that no. creates oh, it's, it's anyone, anyone that creates yeah that is, yeah you know and we all know that data usage um, you know the, the the data file that you would have created 10 years ago is infinitesimally smaller than the same amount of data today because mm -hmm. everything's more complicated. So yeah. whether it's a video or a, a GIS file or a 3D printing file or whatever, those are essential things that people are doing on a regular basis. And we're still stuck in this three megabits per second is adequate mindset there's always going to be creators are going to be greatly disadvantaged by that. Yep. Yep. And again, rural creators in particular um, and those, and those living on tribal land. Right. Yeah. Uh, one of the things that has stuck with me throughout my research is this line that download is about consumption. Upload is about production. Mm. Right? So and I, I'm just captivated because it, it's absolutely correct. I mean, one of the reasons why the cable industry touts, you know, the ultra blazing fast download speeds is that cable is also incredibly asymmetric, right? Yes. You know, 
Um, and, and so they can't tout and upload to people. What they can do is say, you can binge all night and not have network interruption. Well, fine. Um, but you certainly can't, you know, work on a, a Twitch stream where you're uploading your reactions to, to things. You certainly can't do, you know, a, like high capacity live gaming like, yeah. with three, uh, megabit per second upload. Um, but that's something we don't, we don't talk about. We don't talk about upload enough. I, I think that sometimes, um, uh, gamers, I think could leave lead the revolution here, right? Because yes. um, they're very passionate about their their gaming. Um, they are very reliant on not only download and upload speeds, but low latency networks, which mm -hmm. they are not getting in many cases. Right. And you know, maybe we just need to uh, we in the industry that advocate for better broadband ought to just bring in the gamers and say we need you as our army out there to pound on the providers and make them do better. Yeah, you could call it the Community Broadband Upload Summit. And there you go. Bring Absolutely. in gamers and influencers and, and artists and anyone who creates, anyone who uploads, and farmers, right? Let's build a coalition of, of farmers and gamers and influencers and visual artists um, and, and business folks who are uploading massive Excel files. Yep. And um, let's, let's, let's go march. March Uploaders for Uploaders Unite. Uploaders Unite. I love it. It's a new hashtag. But do you think that some of it is in the Midwest in particular or rural areas are just more pessimistic about that there's an actual op economic opportunity to benefit from broadband on the upload side? That it's really embedded more in being the type of people who typically live in rural. We live in rural Iowa, uh, so more conservative, traditional. You go to work every day. <laughs> Those of us, are, you know, actually are doing things from our home offices aren't really working uh to, in the traditional sense so how can we make a living using our brains instead of our our brawn i mean i grew up on a farm and i think it was you know in the farm crisis it was like you're just hunting down economic opportunities there's no way you could could have dreamed in rural iowa that you could sit at home and make money off of an internet connection but right in the cities maybe that's just more prevalent because people actually know people who do it Yes. Well, you know, I, I think you're, I think you're absolutely right. Um, and there's there's a couple of data points that we could we could look to, right? Uh, fiber to the home raises a house value by three percent, mm -hmm. right? That's that goes rural and urban. Um, Fifty percent of farm income now comes from non-farming related activities, and a lot of it happens online. It's about it's about Etsy. It's about farmers markets. Mm -hmm. um, so there's there's tremendous there's tremendous capacity there. Not only that. But precision agriculture can improve farm yield by upwards of 10%, right? But you need a high-speed broadband connection or a fixed wireless network for that, or at least 4G, um, which a lot of um, communities don't. We know that in rural communities, broadband lowers unemployment, raises GDP. So we have the figures for economic mm -hmm. development. Um, and, and I think that uh, part of the problem is a translation issue. Um, with with anyone who's not you know reading through pages of policy or technical languages i think it's our job as advocates to translate all of this to yeah. to to folks who don't have the time or don't have the interest um and and i think that that should be a calling for all of us is whenever we whenever we do work how do we translate it to make sure that our work is as accessible as possible and and certainly as an academic i mean academia can do so much more to translate True. Uh, our, our very jargony language. Um, and that's something I really hoped that I accomplished when I set up for this book. I was like, this is not, this is going to be a book that everyone can read. 
um, you know, not just a book that my PhD advisory committee mm. would find interest in. Um, <laughs> yeah. They they did find it very interesting. I, I always <laughs> talk to them, but um, you know, I, I want the message to get sent out everywhere. Yeah, one of the, one of the interesting things that's evolving that I think that um, hasn't become an economic topic yet for broadband has been where you have a lot of these communities like the community that I live in uh, never adopted a local option sales tax because we were had such retail leakage already that the, the prevailing economic conservative policy was don't put yourself at a further disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Well, they adopted one. And so they're getting their first year collections this year. And uh, they adopted one for a, a larger public purpose, but mm -hmm. the retail, <laughs> The amount of online shopping is almost three times the collections of what they thought it was going to be allocated to this zip code. And I think that if you start looking at rural Iowa communities, you say, well, yeah, the malls are getting shelled. So we can't as economic centers, uh, you know, statewide politicians can't talk about that because you have winners and losers. But certainly the rural Iowa ones uh, should be just hammering that the best online shopping experience I can give my consumers benefits here my sure. local community so let's yep. make that a priority <laughs> well that's an upload or a download but right. that's and just it, it the issues this i think this year that people are starting to just stun at the amount of uh, reverse uh leakage trend um and it's your broadband yeah and you know it doesn't have to be sending in fact it shouldn't be sending residents to amazon or walmart.com right i mean broadband will benefit local businesses in mm -hmm that they can be part of the digital ecosystem in a way that, um, you know, that wasn't possible without a high speed connection. Um, yeah. And and there are so many advantages. And this is what kind of like I find so vexing, um, which is that, that that broadband should not be a partisan or political issue. There's something we should, can all get on board with, right? I mean, mm -hmm. you know, rural economic development, small business economic development, education, civic engagement, public safety, public health, um, quality of life, right? These are these are universal topics. They're not they're not partisan necessarily, um, but that maybe that's a, a an issue for for a different conversation. But it is something that frustrates me when we have these conversations. Why why have we made this so so partisan, so political? Unfortunately, almost everything has become partisan and political. Indeed, in indeed, society. Yeah, yeah. Well, certainly um, how you know how the broadband happens is sort of the policy well yeah that's really yeah, artful yeah, and tailored yeah. and that's what we have tried to say is that we are somewhat agnostic about how that happens as long mm -hmm. as the right way happens and right. it happens right. for over the long run and not just stopgap yeah right and so and what i say in my book is like it's it's all fine to be technologically neutral but we can't be technologically blind bingo yeah, yeah. Good. and building a network building out broadband with technologies that will already be outdated in five years is a very yes. poor use of not only public capital, but private capital. For, um, sure. And, For sure. And, but unfortunately, we haven't had those consistent policies that dissuade um, the use of those funds for technology that won't be future ready, so to speak. Right. right I wanted to go right. back to one point you made. Um, we were having the conversation about that maybe there's not enough awareness of what uh, broadband is uh, is enabling uh, in in the in production, you know, mm -hmm. in the, that maybe there's more awareness about that in cities and rural areas. It's it really just to me comes all down to visibility. Mm -hmm. You know, if you're gonna 
if you're going to have a hundred jobs created in a rural county, everybody's going to know that's happening, right? They're going to see the building going to go up, that money's coming in from the economic development agency and grants and tax credits and all these things for those hundred jobs. But there might be a hundred jobs out there right now, a hundred earning incomes being earned in somebody's living room or basement. Yeah. And because it's not visible, right. People aren't aware of it. So it's happening. And we got to make sure that, you know, whatever we do, we have to communicate to people that it is happening. Yeah. And it will happen more in rural areas if we have access and affordable networks out there to uh, to enable it. So I couldn't agree with you more. You know, one of the things I'm learning with my work with Virginia counties is how little knowledge sharing, best Mm -hmm. practices, championship is going on between communities and between counties. So every county feels it has to reinvent the wheel. Mm-hmm. We we need to be be spreading, and I, I I also agree that you know you you've been to one community network, you've been to one community network. I mean, everyone is different. There will be no cookie cutter solution. Correct. But there are key takeaways, or you know, there's something that a Virginia county could learn from an Iowa county. But you know, which is why you know the summits that that you are all doing and the summits that we talked about before are so important to spread those messages and spread those words and, and do that vital knowledge sharing. Um, that maybe there's just a nugget that someone's going to take home, you know, to Missouri or Mississippi and, you know, all you need is a nugget, right. To, to get the ball rolling. I'm mixing a lot of my metaphors here. No, that's, that's the life I live, Christopher, (laughs) on an average day. I, you know, there's a quote, I don't know who did it, so I can't, I can't attribute it, but I love this quote. History doesn't repeat itself, but it does rhyme. And Mm -hmm. even though you have two communities, they may have different circumstances they're going to have things in common that a lot that should allow them to learn from others who've come before them and like i am always telling people we want people to learn we want uh you to learn from the mistakes of the guy that came before you or the community that that, that did this two years ago or five years or 20 years ago so that information sharing again something that we're we're trying to accomplish here um with Mm -hmm. c-band well any any closing thoughts uh christopher before we uh, wrap it up today uh, no, but it did remind me of just one thing. My technologically blind comment, uh, when you're saying it, don't remember who quoted that's from the NTCA. So I don't want to be taking credit for that. Gotcha. This is why okay. it's important to, to read policy documents. The NTCA said it, uh, about a decade ago. And it's just something that I've latched onto this idea that, that we should be technologically neutral because we don't know what's coming down the pipelines in terms of, uh, in terms of development, but we can't be technologically blind. We can't keep putting exactly. outdated yep technology in the ground. Um, but no, I think for, for last words, I just I want to thank you and, and CBAN and Todd again for this opportunity. Please also uh, keep in touch. Um, I'm available email, which is C-A-L-I at Virginia.edu or on Twitter at Ali underscore Christopher. Um, you can Google me and find it. Please, you know, I, one of the things that's been a, a joy about writing the book is when people reach out to share broadband stories. I love it. So if anyone's listening and wants to share their broadband story, please send it. My- Thank you for listening to the Broadband Action Podcast. We encourage you to like or subscribe for future content here on the podcast. Spread the word. And thanks for joining us.